Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, workplace harassment is no longer something we're whispering about. In the wake of the Me Too movement, women's voices are getting louder and more confident. So will 2018 be a new dawn for women in the workplace? You know, one of the things that I've heard said is, well, we just need more women in leadership. But just having a woman there doesn't mean that she's going to be any more deft and skilled in knowing how to deal with a harassment situation. I'm a big fan of all this sort of discomfort that men are feeling right now, because I think any change requires a bit of discomfort. And this isn't a bad thing. And I think as women, we need to be careful not to care too much that there is some discomfort amongst men. Coming up two women on whether this year could be a turning point for women at work. I met Anne Libby several years ago at an event in New York, and we've been pen pals ever since. Anne grew up in the Chicago suburbs, and though she's based in New York, she still spends a lot of time in Chicago. She has her own coaching and consulting business that helps people become better managers which is something Anne never could have imagined when she graduated from the University of Chicago in the 80s. She had studied behavioural science. She thought she might become a psychologist or psychiatrist. I worked in a lab for a couple of years at the university after college and decided that that was not going to be my jam, and I got a job in banking. Something she fell into when someone she'd worked for previously said, why don't you be my assistant for a while? Before a year was up, she'd been moved from Chicago to New York. She spent nine years with that bank, mostly working on turnaround situations where a business area needed to be fixed up. With her background in behavioral science, it turned out this was a great fit. The um, changes that needed to be made were in people's behavior. They needed to be managed better. And so I got a lot of experience learning how to both manage people, manage managers, and develop people into people managers as well. She's had her consulting business for about 10 years now. She also puts out a monthly newsletter called On Management. I wanted to talk to Anne for this first show of the year because she spent many years living and thinking about workplace and gender dynamics. So I saw you for lunch in December and we talked about this time that we're in. And I feel with everything that's come in the wake of the Weinstein allegations and the Me Too movement, it does feel like a different era to me now. Does it to you? Well... You know, I guess what I would say, and I've thought about this, especially since we had that conversation, I think that the word that people have hooked on here, reckoning, I think that that is a great word uh, for what's happening now. 
I wrote something about it, so I spent a lot of time thinking about it, about what the word actually means. I mean, it means to make a calculation. In navigation, it means to identify where you are, right? Uh, And I think that we are doing a great job right now of identifying where we really are. She says the scales are falling from people's eyes about the sheer extent of harassment in the workplace. I had never thought about the housekeeping staff at hotels as possibly feeling like they're in danger while they're doing their job. So the fact that somebody like me who thinks they're sort of uh, on top of the workplace, right, hadn't thought about that before, is sort of a testament to where we were. Her own experience of harassment began early in her career. What I didn't say earlier in my description of leaving the lab is that the reason that I left that lab was because it was what we would call today an extremely hostile environment. And it was hostile specifically to women, despite the fact that there were many of us there. People made comments about my body, you know, about... uh, a whole range of things. There are things that I blocked out about that. A woman that I uh, worked for at the time now runs a major lab on the uh, at a university. Let's just leave it at that. And um, she's in her early 60s at this point, I believe. And I had a conversation with her about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. And she said, you know, Anne, I still say something that you taught me to say back then. And I was like, really? What is it? And she said, is that my body you're talking about? You know, she runs the place and she's getting like some forms of harassment there. People are talking about her body and she is a esteemed professor in her 60s. So um, has everything changed? I think if I were to call her up, she'd be like, um, no, everything has not changed. Still, Anne says when she quit that lab in the 80s, the phrase hostile work environment didn't exist. Now we all know what that means which is a big leap. I think that changes will be tectonic. And so I think we've had another movement of a tectonic plate. And now things are going to settle out. And we're going to say, okay, where are we here? Because I can guarantee you that people are still being harassed in companies today. And I think that it's dangerous for us to think everything has changed. I completely agree. And I didn't mean to suggest that everything had changed. We're at the beginning of a new year and I wonder how things will play out this year. I mean, when I started this show, I was talking about things that were bubbling under the surface of women's lives. They weren't out there in major newspapers and outlets the way they are now. Because of all the attention on this, are you hopeful there will be some real shifts in the way workplaces work as soon as this year? Or will it be a slow cumulative effect over many more years? My prediction is that it's likelier to be slow and cumulative. I think that some of the hopeful things that um, can come from this had actually started to happen even before we became aware of some of these things. You know, now I can't speak to the actual inside of the company, Salesforce.com, but one of the things that they did maybe 18 months ago was to um, go through and do evaluations of people's salaries on a one-by-one basis. And a lot of women and some men got raises, right? They they are making an effort or were at the time, I haven't stayed up to date on their story, to have pay parity. And I think that that's something that's critically important. 
Anne says she's approached the business school where she got her own MBA and said to them, you publish the salaries second-year MBAs are offered. Why don't you break that down by um, demographic? Why don't you talk about what people of color are um, being offered and what women are being offered versus what men and white men are being offered? Now, I don't know that anybody's actually thinking about doing that, but that's the kind of action that could get things rolling. I think that if a CEO is determined to have things be different, they can take very concrete steps to make sure that people have a safe way of reporting harassment and sorting it out, too, because um, every situation of harassment, some are thoughtless and some are targeted abuse, right? You need to have deft and skilled leaders in companies who can sort out what's a firing offense and what's a forgivable, coachable offense. This is Anne's main point. Leadership and good management are more important now than ever. But the structures that have enabled harassment and bullying to take place, they won't exactly crumble overnight. Systems are persistent. Culture is, you know, cultures survive because they're a survival mechanism and they're very persistent and resilient. And right now, misogyny, for better or for worse, is built into organizational cultures. You know, men and women who are seeing things happen and laughing it off or ignoring it are part of that system, right? She says women are not in a special category just because we're women. You know, one of the things that I've heard said is, well, we just need more women in leadership. But I don't think that we just need more women in leadership because, again, all of us are part of this current environment, right? And we're all part of this reckoning at this point. But just having a woman there doesn't mean that she's going to be any more deft and skilled in knowing how to deal with a harassment situation, especially if she's gotten there because she's navigated them in her own way. And some of her own way might be not saying anything about it. It's complicated. In a minute, things people should never do in a workplace environment and why harassment can be harder to push back against in countries where having a laugh is part of the culture. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So Anne doesn't think more women in leadership will mean an automatic decrease in harassment at work. Women have been known to be harassers themselves. But at least a lot of women have an understanding of harassment through personal experience. At the end of the year, Anne had a brief exchange on chat with a young man who'd responded to a comment she made about recent news events involving prominent men like Harvey Weinstein and TV anchor Matt Lauer. She used those stories of harassment and assault to compile a list of things you should never do in the workplace. 
And Anne says this man is a really good guy, but he implied Anne couldn't really comment about this stuff. It was like I didn't have the moral authority to make those statements because those weren't my story. And because I wasn't outing myself and me tooing and talking about the probably hundreds and hundreds of micro and macro harassments that I've endured in a 30-year career, that I didn't have the moral authority to say what should or shouldn't happen. Can you remember what you put on that list? Things people should not be doing at work? Oh, yeah. Um, I, it was sort of flip. I should I should copy you on it so that you can look at it. I've made it a lot less flip. But, you know, that you should never be seen in a bathrobe by somebody that you work with. Charlie Rose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein. Those guys have ruined bathrobes for me forever. <laughs> Hotel bathrobes are dead to me. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, that you should never suggest to somebody else that having sex with you will be a career move. You should never be unclothed in the workplace. You should never take your penis out of your pants at work. Um, and I did state it that that boldly. It, you know, I made a list of like maybe 10 or 15 things. And then I linked back to all of them. And I've been sort of adding new incidents that have been happened and that are well reported, right, to that list. I mean, do we have to say these things? Uh, obviously, we do because it's happening. I said to Anne, men are always going to be 50% of the population. We're always going to be working together. And most men won't do any of those things. But where do we go from here with that workplace relationship? That's, I mean, that's why I'm guardedly hopeful. And that's why I'm, I'm pinning a lot of um, responsibility on people who lead people. Because what you need to do is give people options to do the right thing, right? I think most people, probably 98% of people or more, want to do the right thing in any situation. I think human nature is that you don't want other people to suffer. And when she hears about some men being alarmed by this new environment... When people say men are afraid, I'm like, well, you know, we've been afraid for a long time. We've been mediating our behavior for a long time. Good. Like, that's going to be one good thing about this, right? But I don't think fear is the right answer. You shouldn't be motivated by um, don't screw up or you'll get in trouble as much by like, gosh, if you see something, say something, which is simple in its notion, but it's difficult in its execution. And that's the leadership moment we're at right now. How can you let people safely say something? And how can you let people be supported in saying something? How can others intervene if we witness something that seems unsavory? She wishes more companies would allow academics to study them as they try different ways of handling harassment situations. She says the results of a study could inform the wider world about what works and what doesn't. So, I mean, I think that there's plenty that can be done. But the first thing that has to happen is that you, as the leader of that organization or as the executive team of that organization, has to say, this is one of the top three things we're going to work on this year. And if you're not doing that, then, you know, you can expect more of the same. So that's a view from the U.S., from an expert on management and company culture. My next guest lives in London. I am Nastran Tavakoli-Farr, 
also known as Naz. I host a podcast called The Gender Knot, and I'm also a journalist. I present programs on the BBC, and I was a reporter and producer there for quite a while. I wanted to talk to Naz to get a view from someone younger than either Anne or me. She's 32. And also to get a perspective from the UK. Naz was born in Iran, but her parents moved to England when she was two. She speaks fluent Farsi, and she used to work in that language when she worked for the BBC's Persian service. Naz says she hasn't experienced harassment at work, but she certainly didn't feel things were equal for men and women at the BBC. I feel like part of the reason why I wanted to work for myself was to do with some of the dynamics in the office and gender dynamics. And I think I hear this from a lot of women who are entrepreneurs as well. A lot of it is to do with sort of not wanting to be the woman who ends up doing a lot of work but not getting enough credit. So I think there is a bit of a tie-in to sort of women wanting to be freelancers or being entrepreneurs to sort of get away from a lot of the unspoken dynamics in the workplace, you know. As for how she and her friends are thinking about the year ahead... It's strange because on one hand, there's a real excitement, but there is a little bit of, I don't want to say cynicism, but a little bit of caution too. And I don't know if that's a British thing of like not getting too excited about anything, lest it doesn't doesn't pan out well. But yeah, there is this feeling of like, you know, it's good that men are hearing these conversations uh, and that the men in power are hearing these conversations. But there there is a little bit of scepticism as to like how much things are going to change going forward. Well, how do you feel? You seem pretty, pretty positive in the conversations I've heard you have in your podcast. Yeah, no, I feel pretty positive. But again, I don't know if it's because I'm not inside a big institution daily. Um, and I, I wonder if that has a bit of an effect, too, because I'm not sort of in I'm not surrounded by the sort of institutional structure on a day to day basis. So but but I do think that these things are good long run. Like, I feel like what might happen is like a period of two or three years of like, really hard conversations and unpleasant dynamics but you need to get that out the way and I feel it's like you know like with personal relationships as well when you need to have those difficult conversations and they're not nice and stuff isn't nice for a while but people need time to process that something that's interesting that I heard from some of my colleagues is like um, certain women pushing for men on their team to reveal their salaries. And that's been interesting because some of the women are really into that. They're like, yeah, let's all be totally open about how much we're earning. And some of the women are like, no, like, that's just not going to help us long run because the men are going to resent us. So that's really interesting because, again, it is this sense of, like, we mustn't offend men, not necessarily because we care about what they think or their feelings, but because will we just end up suffering as a result of this? So there's a lot of questioning of like how open we should be when sort of pushing for these changes. Like, you know, is it just going to be a backlash that will end up hurting us more? Some of you will know about the Carrie Gracie story. Gracie was until recently the BBC's China editor, living in and reporting from China. She quit her post after finding out two male foreign editors were paid far more than she was and after the BBC refused to take action to equalise the salaries. She wrote a dignified letter about all this, which I'll link you to. It is well worth reading. And her action has spurred more conversations in the UK, and especially in journalism, about women's unequal status as employees, and how little we know about what our peers are earning. But Naz says in an industry like journalism, where a lot of outlets are laying people off... There's also some worry that, like, if we all have to reveal our pay, what is unlikely is that, you know, 
people's pay will be reduced. What is more likely is that some people might have to be axed if, you know, managers feel that they have to raise everyone's pay to the same level. So it's kind of like, would I rather get a pay rise or risk actually getting axed? I'm planning an upcoming show on women and pay, so I will get into all this stuff more deeply then. Nas thinks British women's response to the explosion of stories about workplace harassment has been a bit more subdued than in the US. She says women there still speak less openly about bad work experiences of all kinds, though that is changing. And I also think maybe the nature of harassment is different as well. And just from like my small time in the US, I felt like people like people are more openly aggressive. So it's kind of maybe more obvious. And I think, well, I guess, yeah, I guess that's the that's the famous difference between London and New York, I guess. They're like, New York's really aggressive and London's kind of like aggressive in a more sort of subdued or passive way, you know? So something that I think is quite a big deal in the UK is still this sort of like boys club thing is quite a big deal. You know, like men kind of giving jobs to each other, kind of looking out for one another and that's not harassment but it is a sort of discrimination which is quite hard to call out because it is so sort of yeah it's so ingrained yeah no absolutely i i hear you on the the boys club thing and also the different ways in which men you know use language at work kind of thing about women and around women because one of the things that I think about with regard to the UK and Australia is that compared to the US there's this jokey culture there's this oh come on we're having a laugh you need to have a sense of humor and everyone is expected to have a sense of humor and I have to say like I miss the I miss the British sense of humor I've become unconsciously a lot more guarded (laughs) about what I say living here over the years I just and I realize it's just happened to me because I've lived here for so long but one of the things about you know Brits and Australians is is that jokiness which sometimes maybe the woman excuse to hide yeah no, definitely. That's another thing as well. But again, it's one of those, it's again, part of the, what I was referring to, that it's kind of harder to call things out here because it's much more subtle. And kind of, it's funny because it makes me think of, you know, when we talk about lad culture in the UK and like bro culture in the US um, and the whole, because we always think of those two sort of types of men as being sort of like equivalents of each other just with sort of cultural nuances and the whole lad thing it it is a funny thing it's like a jokey thing you're being silly you're poking fun and yet it's hard to be offended about that because can't you take a joke come on it was just funny you know what I mean so it's really difficult to speak up about that but yeah it is used to cover up a lot of sort of hostile sentiment so what of that hostile sentiment whether it's male commentators in some of the British papers or just online comments you read under articles about women in the workplace, some men clearly feel uncomfortable in a world where women's voices are getting stronger. But the thing is, I'm a big fan of all this sort of discomfort that men are feeling right now because I think any change requires a bit of discomfort and this isn't a bad thing. And I think as women, we need to be careful not to care too much that there is some discomfort amongst men because that's that's a very 
and I think in in many cultures it's the case, right? Like women are caretakers. We try not to like hurt people, which is also why women end up taking a lot of bad behavior too, because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings by calling it out. And I feel like right now a lot of men are feeling discomfort. On some level, I find some of the conversations where men feel discomfort to be quite manipulative because it's a way of kind of, you know, trying to guilt trip women to not say anything. And I think women need to not care if people are getting their feelings hurt. Like, this needs to happen. She had a conversation with her male co-host on The Gender Knot recently, and she talked about people needing to feel pain to change and grow. He was not so sure. I wondered if leaders of British companies think of themselves as part of the reckoning. Will they start to forge some changes to company culture? Naz seems sceptical. I wonder if it's a case of women doing their own thing a little bit. Um, I'm already seeing this of like women wanting to work with or for women. In a way, it might be quite a good time for women leaders or women who are already in positions of power. Because I get I get the feeling of trying to wait for men to change. And especially like in a culture where people don't really want to look at it. I, I have a feeling you're going to get more sort of women wanting to work for other women or like powerful women who have money setting up things that are friendlier to women. I, I get a feeling women might just try and do it on their own. What do you think? Has the Me Too movement got you thinking differently about your career and who you want to work with? And if you're a freelancer or run your own business, I'm curious to know whether you've escaped some of the seamier sides of office life or not necessarily. You can respond on Facebook, email me, or send me a voice memo from your phone, ashley at thebroadexperience.com. One thing I will say that I think is a very positive sign, it's happening in my industry, I assume it's happening in some other industries as well, is groups of women who have come together to say, look, if you are a female journalist or radio reporter and you experience bullying or harassment, come to us tell us about it because we as a group have some influence on these companies you're either working for on staff or freelancing for. That kind of thing seems hugely positive to me and a real step forward. Thanks to Naz and Anne Libby for being my guests on this show. You will find links to their work including Naz's podcast The Gender Knot and Anne's newsletter on management under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. That's The Broad Experience for this time. If you're not already a subscriber to the show, please become one. You can find the podcast in places like Apple Podcasts and Radio Public. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening. See you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.